Okay, take your Bible with me this morning and turn back to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You know what? I printed the wrong notes out. <laughs> No, they're in here. <laughs> Woo, I was just about to say, hold it, I got to run to Wedgwood and get my notes. I didn't throw my, I usually, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm scatterbrained this morning, I didn't throw my old notes. But thank God I've got my, <laughs> when I looked at the text, I thought, 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 7, I think I preached on that last one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 8 through 10. This morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. I've entitled, we've been, uh, the last previous four messages, I know there was four of them because I just looked at those notes. The last one was the, the glory of God, part four. I want to begin a new section this morning. We always try to go uh, verse by verse. Uh, I try not to ever, and I will not avoid anything. I, mean, I, I think that's one of the reasons that we stick to expository preaching where we go consistently through the Word of God where everything that's in the Word of God, we deal with it truthfully and honestly, honestly in its context. And I've entitled this series, Our, in, in light of this week, this is very appropriate, Our Light Affliction. Our Light Affliction. This will be part one. Let's read our text this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through verse 10. Paul writes, We are troubled. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. This is, a, this is an interesting set of three verses in light of what we've already looked at concerning the reality that apart from God causing the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to shine in our hearts, we would never know him. We would never seek him. We would never desire his salvation, his way. We, we would follow God of our imagination. We might follow God of our lineage. And that's what most people have done. Most people have made one profession of religion as a child, and then later on they make a profession as a, as a <clears throat> young adult. And then maybe on, if the Lord's gracious, he brings them to true faith and true repentance. I know I made a profession of religion as a child, seven years of age did not know anything about sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. All I knew is my mom and my daddy had told me all my life, you've got to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And I did not want to let my mom and my daddy down. I made another profession when I was about 17 or 18 years of age. And then I made a third profession and a third baptism when I was about 21 years of age and swapped from Armenian free will uh, works-based religion to Calvinistic work-based religions, what I swapped to. So I changed religions three times in my lifetime, 
but I never changed God's. It was the same God. It was a God who could not save. It was a God who wanted to and couldn't, who tried to and wouldn't, who depended on me to ultimately make the final decision. And then the Lord, by His grace, when I was a false pastor in a false church preaching another gospel and another Christ, He brought a man there that was faithful to tell the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and talk about the fact that you must have a righteousness that equals and answers the demands of God's law and justice. It's not enough to be moral or sincere or kind or compassionate or faithful or in a church every Sunday. You had to be as righteous as God. And that shocked me to my core. How can a man be just before God? That's the question that's that's lacking in the vast majority of religion in our generation. And I'll tell you what, that's why we're talking about this light affliction this morning. When you're honest to that truth, you're sincere and dogmatic in taking that stand that apart from God shining the light into the heart, mind, and understanding of His people through this one gospel, preached, heard, understood, and believed in, there cannot be any eternal life. There can be reformation. There can be change. There can be religious... I guess we can use a word that we can... Religiosity. There can be all of that. But there's no Christianity. No true Christian. And you do that people are not going to like you for it. Family members, people that were your friends, people you formerly went to church with, they're not going to love you for it. As I, as I read these words, and I, I said I wanted to get down all the way through verse, I wanted to do the whole chapter, but I just couldn't get it all. It was impossible. But as I read these words, and I read this chapter several times, I, a, a, a verse got hung up in my mind, and I just couldn't get it out of I posted this, this introduction on Facebook this week as an article but because it, it just, it was, it, to me it was so heart-searching. But this is the verse that popped into my mind. If you were of the world, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore, now listen to this, therefore the world hateth. You hear that? The world hateth hateth you. Listen to Young's little translation of this verse. If of the world you were, the world its own would have been loving. And because of the world you are not, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Think about that word our Lord used here concerning the world and the thoughts and actions toward all who are he is. He says, therefore, the world hateth you. That word translated hateth in the original Greek, it means to hate, to pursue with hatred. Or listen to this one to detest because I chose you out of the world the world detests you you get any of that? huh? see this, this hatred wasn't something reserved just for the apostle Paul 
or those who heard and believed their message, not just the first church back in the book of Acts. We seem to divorce ourselves from everything that's written for us, recorded for us historically in the Scriptures. Now, granted, we live in the United States of America, and we have a constitution that protects us to some degree, at least presently, from somebody coming in and religiously persecuting us. They didn't have that advantage. But the truth, the reality of what our Lord said to them applies to you and me in our generation if we're faithful to the gospel message. This hatred is something that he's telling them, and I'm telling you and me too, that will come forth from all those who are of the world. Well, those folks are. And you think about it like this. It, it's been exhibited, this hatred from the world. See, this kind of gives you a definition of that word world. Therefore, I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Well, at one point in time, there was Adam, there was Eve, there was Cain, and there was Abel. Remember, them, remember those four people back at the beginning, in the beginning? Just four. If that's all there was, wouldn't that be the world? <laughs> Isn't that the world? And he says, to think about that, it, it, let's know what happened. In Genesis chapter 4, turn back over, hold your place there, turn to Genesis chapter 4. I want you to see this. I say, this is not something new. And keep this in mind. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, it says, And in the process of time it came to pass, it came brought of the fruit of the ground an offering. Brought an offering unto the Lord. So what's he doing? If he's brought an offering to the Lord, what's this man doing? He's worshiping. And that what this is? He's going to worship the Lord. Well, how did he know to bring an offering? Told him that. His mom and his daddy told him an offering, but they didn't tell him this offering. Because notice, notice the next, next verse. And Abel, he's going to worship too. What he bring? He brought also of the first things of the flock and the fat thereof. What did he bring? He brought a, a, an innocent victim slain. Because what did Abel believe? He believed somebody that was separate from sin had to die in his place. Abel, by faith, died in that lamb, Kenny. Or whatever kind of animal it was. We assume it's a lamb. It's the first thing of the flock. Whatever it was... An animal can't sin against God. It says, And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering and unto Cain, but unto Cain and his offering God had not respect. Why? He, Cain came the wrong way. He approached God in some way that God had never told him he'd accept. There's only one way. Without the shedding of blood, we read it every time we take the Lord's table, without the shedding of blood... No remission, no forgiveness, no redemption, no righteousness, no salvation. Abel, by God-given faith, heard his mom and dad's words. Same message, they both heard it. Well, and Cain, because of this, because God had respect to Abel in his offering, had respect to Abel first, 
his person. Why? Because Abel was doing right. No. That, 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 that offering he brought proved that he had faith. And he was righteous. And he could approach God acceptably with a sacrifice. He was very wroth and his countenance failed. The Lord said unto Cain, Why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If thou doest well, you do the right thing, you'll be accepted. And if thou doest not well, here's the problem. Sin lies at your door. In other words, what are you? You're guilty. And guilty people can't approach this God. We have to be not guilty. We have to be righteous. We have to be accepted. Verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel his brother. You are of the world. The world would love his own. But because I've chosen you out of the world, what does the world do? Came to pass when they were in the field... Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. What did he kill him for? Religious differences. <laughs> that's what it was about. Because, see, that's, that's the thing. What Abel brought condemned everything that Cain brought. And just like they hated, he hated Abel. The same can be said of all God's children. You listen to me. The unregenerate, lost religious world hated, pursued with hatred, and detested our blessed Lord, even seeking to kill him. And they did so not because of the miracles. They didn't do it because... Listen, our Lord was a compassionate man. Huh? He gave sight to the blind. He raised the dead. He fed 5,000, turned water into wine, was compassionate to all men. Even those, listen, he prayed at the end, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I think in reality that was applicable to who? Not to those that were unbelieving reprobates, but to God's children. Forgive us, the elect, the children of God. They did so, they, they hated our Lord for one reason only, the message he declared. That's it. Jesus said unto these Jews, now these ones that sought his life, if you were of your, your, if God were your father, you'd love me. Now think about that. If God were your father, you'd love me. For I proceeded forth, or came from God. Neither came I myself, but what did he do? He sent me. What did he send me here to do? To establish righteousness. To bring in an everlasting righteousness. He sent him to do what? To save his people from their sin. That's why y'all you'll call his name Jehovah. Jesus. Jehovah our salvation. He sent me. Why do you not hear? Listen. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you cannot hear my word. Now listen to you, boy. This would get them. You are of your father, the devil. You know what this tells me about this? Whoever he says this to, these people ain't gonna change, Papas. 
Whoever he said this, you are of your father the devil, these are, these are men and women like Judas is carried it would have been better if they'd have never been born. What are they? They are vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. Right here. This is it. I don't believe that. Well, then you don't believe the book. God prepared one vessel to glory, another vessel to destruction. And he tells them, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you'll do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you can convince me of sin? I say the truth, why do you not believe me? And then here's the capstone. He that is of God, he that's born of God, hears God's word. You therefore hear them not, because you're not a God. You're not his redeemed. You're, these are not men that Christ shed his precious blood for. You hear me? Our Lord Jesus Christ did not shed one drop of blood for anybody that's in hell. Not one. Not at all. And see, according to what Paul showed these Corinthians, as well as all who truly believe the gospel message, Christ's message is whose message? It's our message. And it's our ministry. Therefore, seeing we have received this ministry, that's what he, how he started this chapter off. As we have received mercy, and we have, we don't faint. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. In other words, we quit lying to people. We're truthful and we're honest about how God saves sinners. I don't try to sneak up with you with the gospel. I'm telling you the truth. You, by nature, are a guilty, hell-deserving sinner. You might be the kindest, most moral, sincere, dedicated, religious-going person on the planet. But if you have not Christ's righteousness, you're no better than a pagan or an idolater bound down to a Buddha doll or a little wooden idol in a little shed out in, a, in some God-forsaken region. We'll go for a step further. You're no more than what you consider to be the most evil. Because I know we do. What do we think? When we think of sin, most of us, when you think of the worst sin, which one do you think of? Huh? If you think, if I, I said, tell me what you think the worst sin is, what, what's the first? I know it comes to my mind, especially the way it's everywhere on TV and in magazines and everything you come across. What's the worst sin done? The sin, that awful sin, the sin of which nobody speaks. Which one? Homosexuality. Oh, that's the bad one. I'm pretty certain homosexuals ain't trying to get to heaven by being homosexuals. But I tell you what, religious people are trying to get to heaven by being religious. By doing what they think is right. And I tell you what, the one, those religious people are trying their best to get to heaven by what they do, they're really more vile and more evil and more contemptible than that one that you think so awful. I don't like the way you said that. Well, I could care less. That's the way it is. It's what God's Word teaches us. We don't, we're not dishonest. We don't walk in craftiness. We don't handle the Word of God deceitfully. But what do we do? We manifest the truth to you. Why? What sets sinners free? You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. And the thing is, that if we faithfully and dogmatically declare this message to all who will hear us, 
all those who God providentially brings before us and opens a door of opportunity for us to share the gospel with us, rest assured of this one thing. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And before you jumped to any conclusions this morning and think, well, this was meant just for the apostles. This, this, if the world hates you, I chose you out of the world. He's just talking about the apostles. That's how people dodge these things. Well, that doesn't apply to us. It applied to the apostles. Well, listen to John's words to all those in Christ in his epistle. He says not to the apostles. He says to people he wrote to in 1 John, marvel not my brethren, not the apostles, marvel not my brethren if the world hate you. They hate you. James said this, you adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity against God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world. That doesn't mean, I'm not telling you go out and break every friendship you got. That's not what I'm telling you. He's talking about entering into religious fellowship with people who don't believe this gospel is what he's talking about. He'd be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Now look at our text. That's a long introduction, isn't it? <laughs> look at verse 8, 9. Let's read it real quick. He says... We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. You know, I thought about this a long time before I, I wrote it down. I'm burning up. I got to pull this coat off. <laughs> Too much activity. <laughs> Paul had been on the other side of this thing. And you think about it. He was on the other side of what now he's enduring. Before he was the persecutor. Right? Now what is he? He's the one that's being persecuted. And being persecuted for one particular reason. He himself said, if, I, if, I'm, if, I'm not pre if I preach circumcision, why am I yet persecuted? In other words, if I'm going along with this stuff that these false preachers are teaching, that circumcision makes a difference between life and death, that's all he'd had to do to get along. All you got to do to get along with everybody in this world is say, we all okay, we're all trying to go to heaven, we're just trying to go there a little different direction. And I'll tell you what, the world will love you. But keep in mind, friendship with the world is enmity against God. And if you're a friend of the world, what are you? You're the enemy of God. Previous to our Lord meeting Paul on the road, Saul to Tarsus on the road to Damascus, Paul had been the one who hated. Remember what that word hated means? He detested. He pursued with hatred. He sought to destroy all those who were of the way. All of them, without exception. Listen to this. And Saul was consenting unto his death. Whose death? Stephen's. He was standing there holding the coats when they killed Stephen. What did they kill Stephen for? What did Stephen tell them? That they had killed God's Christ. 
And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and there were, they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria and except the apostles. You know, one thing Saul could take comfort in, you know that persecution that he inflicted on the church? Instead of snuffing out the church, you know what it did? It scattered them. They would have been content to stay right there in Jerusalem. But God's got a purpose and a plan. I'm sending you out. So what does he do? He sends in his Saul. Saul, he used him to preach the gospel. He used him as an unbeliever to disperse the gospel, to push it out. Listen to this. And as for Saul, he made havoc. You hear this? He made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. That's, he, he hated the church. He hated Christ. Then, listen, I sought the Lord. This dude ain't seeking Christ. He could care less about If Listen, at this point in his life, if he had met the Lord Jesus Christ, he'd have killed him. That's how much he hated him. Listen to this one. And Saul yet breathing out and threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired a letter of him to Damascus, to the synagogue, that if he found any of this way, this way what? Christ the way, the truth, and the life. Any of this way, whether they be men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. But then the Lord Jesus Christ graciously met this devil. I take it back. Let me let me choose my words more carefully. He met this chosen vessel, the devil that he was. And then he sent Ananias to him. And he told Ananias, you gave Saul of Tarsus some explicit instructions. Now listen to these instructions. This is a man who hated the church, who sought to snuff out the church who hated what the church stood for, what it preached. And God sends this because Ananias, I don't want to go down there. I know, I've heard of this dude. He said, you go down and you tell him, Lord said to him, you go your way. For he, this, this man, who was yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the church, he said, this man, he's a chosen vessel for me. Remember what he said? Because I've chosen you out of the world, therefore, what does the world do? He says, he's a chosen vessel unto me. But then he goes on. To bear my name. To bear my name before the Gentiles, before kings, and before the children of Israel. Now listen to this one. For I will show him how great things he shall suffer for my name's sake. Now listen, I'm not looking for suffering. But I'm not going to have friends in this world and make friends in this world seeking to avoid suffering by compromising the gospel for their sake. See, Paul now in our text, turn back over to our text, he, he knew and he understood exactly what Christ's words to suffer for his name's sake meant. You listen to these words. 
He says, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Those seem to be a paradox. (laughs) You think about it. To the natural mind, how in the world can you be troubled on every side and yet not distressed? How can you be perplexed and not in despair? How can you be persecuted and yet not forsaken? How can you be cast down and not destroyed? Let me, let me give you the meaning of each one of these because words mean everything. And this is so essential to understanding what's going on here in Paul's life and what goes on in the life of every true born-again, regenerated, converted son and daughter of the living God. That word trouble, you know what it means? It means to press as grapes. You ever, heard, you ever seen them? You ever, I, I remember one time when Lucille Ball had a deal and they had the big vat up there and they had the grapes in there and they were stomping the grapes. What do you do to get, get grapes out, to get the grape juice out? What do you have to do? You have to put pressure on it. And it means to press as grapes. It means to press hard upon. That word perplexed, it means to be without resources, to be in dire straits, to be left wanting, to be embarrassed, to be in doubt. Not to know which way to turn. Distressed. Perplexed. <clears throat> that word persecuted means to make, to run, or flee. Put to flight or to drive away. And the word translated by the two English words cast down into one word in the Greek, it means to throw to the ground or to put in a lower place. Now, these, these are pretty bad situations for the child of God. And I tell you, if you tell an unregenerate religious person or just an re- unregenerate person in general, you're going to be troubled and perplexed and persecuted and cast down for what you believe, do you think their response would be what Paul's response is? You think about it, in spite of these four things that seem so awful, by God-given faith, Paul declares what? Not distressed. Not in despair. I'm not, to the world he looked forsaken. Not forsaken. Not destroyed. See, Paul knew that the gospel message he formerly hated, that that he had sought to destroy, was that which by... Our Lord graciously had delivered him. He, this, this was his song of joy. For the law of the Spirit, or the principle, that's what that word law means. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments delivered. He said, the principle of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Free from the law, oh, happy condition. Jesus hath bled and what? There is remission. That's what, he, that's what his hope was. That's what our hope is. But Paul was also motivated by the fact that if God could save a sinner like him, one so filled with hatred for the truth, the same message and same ministry committed to him and all God's elect, it could and it would set free every one of his children in his appointed time. Paul said confidently, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it. Not a program. What do you do down there to to reach sinners? I tell you what we do to reach sinners. We preach the gospel to them. We're not going to 
try to feed them into the kingdom of God or build them a home into the kingdom of God. We're going to preach Christ to them. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein, not in, in, in me, therein, where in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. The only way a sinner can see righteousness has got to be revealed. Where's the only place it's revealed? In this book. As it sets forth the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about those words of encouragement he spoke to those at Corinth as well as to all God's redeemed in every generation who would at some point, listen, who would at some time be troubled, perplexed, persecuted, and cast down for his name's sake. To those that are troubled, what does he say? He says confidently, not distressed. Which means straightened, compressed, cramped, or reduced to dire straits. To those who were troubled, he says confidently, not in despair. That word, that word uh, not in despair means to be utterly at loss be utterly destitute of measures or resources to renounce all hope. No, you're not hopeless. All hope might seem gone, but what, what we, I, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. To those who are persecuted, he confidently says, not forsaken. Which that word for not forsaken is one word. It means totally abandoned or utterly forsaken. He said, and didn't our Lord Jesus Christ say that? He will never leave you nor forsake you. I always think about having loved his own. How long did he love them? To the end. To the very end. And to those who were cast down, he gloriously declares, not destroyed. In other words, you can kill this body, you can't kill me. Why? Because I'm safely in the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. And underneath, according to Moses, underneath us is what's, under, what's holding me, the everlasting arms. To get me out of those arms, you've got to pry the arms of God open. You take on that task. They, you think about this truth. Hey, I, let me read you this passage of Scripture. This has always been one of my favorite. I, I, you know, Romans 8, 1, everybody knows that. Romans 8, 28, everybody's memorized that. I tell you, the ones we need to memorize is this. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Huh? Think about it. If God's for you... He, if he's far, he, he's so far us, what did he do? He that spared not his own son. Why? He had to be glorified, and the only way he could glorify it would be what? Through the son. He spared not his own son, but delivered him up. How shall we not, he not with Christ, the one he delivered, how shall Christ not with the Father freely, freely, without cost, without charge, without obligation, without condition, how shall he not freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything? Listen to this. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. It's God that declares righteous. Who's he that condemneth? Who's the only one that can condemn one of God's elect? It's Christ that died, yea, rather risen again, who's even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Listen, he goes on. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress? There's that one of the words, distress. Distressed, persecution, there's one of them. Persecution or famine, 
or nakedness or peril or sword as it's written, here we go, for thy sake. Just the Apostle Paul, no, for thy sake, we, all of us, are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep under the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, or if it left out anything else, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, this truth was the source of Paul's confidence in spite of the fact that he was troubled, perplexed, persecuted, and cast down. What? We've been given this ministry. Oh, what a privilege. What a responsibility to have committed to our hands, these vessels of clay, this ministry. This ministry of reconciliation that telling sinners that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Here's a question that comes to my mind. Who was troubling? Who was perplexing? Who was persecuting? Who was casting down all God's redeemed? Who was doing that? It wasn't the publicans and sinners doing it. Who was it? It, the, The ones who were doing the persecution called this person whom they persecuted and hated, what did they call him the friend of? He was the friend of publicans and sinners. They looked at our Lord with contempt. If he knew what this woman was, he wouldn't have nothing to do with her. Right? So who was doing it? Who was doing all of the persecuting? The unbelieving Jews. But not just any unbelieving Jews. Which one? The ones who handled the law. Who were the teachers and scholars religiously in Israel. The ones who were down at the temple all the time. Going through all the ritual and sacrifices. The ones that were doing the, the hatred were the ones of whom Christ said, if the world hates you, you know that it, the world, hates me before it hated you. Why, why did Saul of Tarsus hate Stephen? Why did he hate the church? Why did he, was breathing out threatenings and slaughters to those that were of the way? Why did the Jews who formerly loved Saul of Tarsus, when he was their companion in crime, why do they now hate and pursue him? Seek to kill him and all the other disciples. The exact same reason the Jews hated and killed our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel message they boldly and dogmatically stood forth and declared. Folks, our Lord Jesus Christ told us that all it would be that way for who? Not just them. Listen to it. Do you, do you claim this promise to be you? Blessed? Blessed? They which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And see, I can remember all my days in false religion. When they talked about that being persecuted for righteousness' sake, you know what they're talking about? Character and conduct. The way you looked, everybody. The way you acted, the way you talked. That's not what he's talking about. 
That word blessed means eternally blessed. It's not, not if you will suffer for righteousness sakes, you'll get blessed. He's saying the ones that are blessed, they're the ones that suffer for righteousness sake. But then he goes on, he says, for theirs, the, these blessed ones, these ones that the paradox of persecution comes on them, their lives get turned upside down over the gospel. He said, theirs is the king. Not they're going to get it for doing it. They possess it. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for the way you dress or wear your hair. No, for my name's sake. What's his name say? Thou shalt call his name Jesus, Jehovah our salvation, for he shall save his people from their sin. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they who? The prophets which were before you. All the way back in time. And I tell you, in this prophet setting, you know who you can put in there as a prophet? Think about this, Doug. Abel. How do we know he prophesied? Go read about his life in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith. And tell me he wasn't a prophet. But notice his next word, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Here's a literal translation of this verse. At all times, the dying of the Lord Jesus, bearing about in the body, that the life also of Jesus in our body may be made manifest. That word translated always, it means all the time. At all times. That word translated bearing, it means to carry about or to bear about everywhere with me. It's kind of that same word, the connotation of it to when, when somebody murdered somebody back in Roman times, part of the punishment was is they took the person you murdered, and you know what they did? They hooked them on your back and you carried them everywhere. When you went to bed, they were wrapped around your neck. <laughs> and he says, we carry this about in our body. And see, by these words, Paul makes it very clear that all God's children, every single solitary one of them who are faithful to the gospel, faithful to one another in Christ, they'll be troubled, Perplexed, persecuted, and cast down at all times. Why? Every time when they're cast, they're, they're, these things occur, they're bearing in their body, what do they show? The dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by these words, Paul makes it clear. This phrase, the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul didn't mean here by these words the doctrine of the suffering or death of Christ are of salvation by a crucified Christ, which they were already ambassadors of. It's not what he's talking about. They were ambassadors of all of these things when they preached the word. Paul was talking about the suffering they endured and, and, and the likeness there is between the suffering they endured for righteousness' sake and that which our Lord Jesus Christ endured for the message that he preached and declared in his time. John Gill, on this passage, he wrote these words. He says, as Christ was traduced as a wicked man, a deceiver, and a stirrer of sedition, so were they. As he was persecuted, so were they. As he was liable to death at last, at, and at last was delivered up to it, so were they. And also because of the union and sympathy which was between them, Christ and they were one body, one spirit, so that what was endured by the members, the head had a fellow feeling of in sympathy with, 
and reckon what was done to them is done to who? Remember what he said to Saul of Tarsus? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Brings Paul's words to mind. He says this, The Spirit itself bears witness that with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children and heirs, heirs of God, join heirs of Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we might be glorified together. What does he tell me there? We all going to suffer with him. Well, we will. Paul states that our bearing about in our body, the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ, it always results in this, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. And everybody says, oh, there it is. There's that, Paul was singing that song that we all taught in false religion. Let others see Jesus in you. <laughs> Let your light shine so they'll see Christ. That's not what he's talking about here. And I tell you, he certainly was not teaching this false idea that the best sermon you can preach is the one that you live. He wasn't advocating for that. Holy Spirit's meaning by Paul's words is a declaration concerning Christ's faithfulness to his people even when trials and tribulations and sufferings are at their worst. Listen to Moses' words to Israel. He says, Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail, nor forsake thee. Let hell come forth on the church of God. Anyway, our Lord said this, that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against his church. Why? Because the church is so strong? No, because where the church's foundation is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're thinking, well, what do these words mean to me? Well, they teach us the reality that even though Christ has died, you know what's happened? He's risen again. Risen from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. And you know what? He ever lives. This person who came and lived and died and rose again, he ever lives to make intercession for us. And the proof that he is never, never has left us and never will forsake us is that we're supported by him under every trial, under all sufferings we endure in this life, seeing that he's faithful to himself and his promise. What was his promise to these guys? Because I live, you live also. Even in the midst of the many dangers and deaths that come against us in this life because of the hatred of men and women against the truth of God, he'll never leave us forsaken. I cannot help but get out of my mind. Daniel in that line's Daniel. And those three Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that fiery furnace, it's an excellent illustration of what, what Paul's talking about, us being perplexed and troubled, persecuted, and cast down. Can you get any more cast down than thrown into a lion's den? Or how about, could you be any more perplexed or persecuted that when they take you up, that the men that take you up to cast you into a fiery furnace heated seven times hotter and whatever... They're dying to get you up there to throw you into that thing. My thought process was always this. If they died, couldn't they just come back down? But see, they told that Nebuchadnezzar, because he told me, y'all got, got to bow. And they said, no, it's not going to happen. Well, then you're going to die. 
And they looked at him, and in God-given faith, they said, one way or another, we're delivered from you today. If it had been God's will for them to burn up in that fire, they were set free. Right? Either way, Christ was with them. Remember when he run up? And he said, didn't we throw three, three men into the fire? But I see a fourth one. And it's likened to who? We go eat sometimes on Sundays. You go over and eat it. Brister's over I'm not giving you an advertisement for Brister's, but they make some pretty good barbecue. We go over there, and I, I always ask the people every time I know they think I'm a senile old man when I keep asking them the same question. I ask them, do you have to wash your clothes every day when you get off work? Because I don't wear my coat in there because you go in there just long enough to eat. You come back out, and you smell, and it's, it's like you've been out barbecuing all day long. And it tells us that when those guys came out of that fiery furnace, there wasn't any burns. You ever been close to fire? All of a sudden it flash up and either the hairs on your arms or your eyebrows is burnt off. And it said they didn't even smell a smoke. And they were in the fire. Why? He never left them nor forsook them. Our stand for the gospel, folks, is going to cost us everything. You hear me? It cost us everything. If we're honest and uncompromising about Christ, His blood, and His righteousness is a sinner's only hope and cause of salvation, I tell you, you can rest assured the world will not love you and it will not embrace you. Just like our Lord told us, told them, tells you and me too, they'll hate you because what they do, they hated me. And they hated Him for one reason. He told them the truth about the only way God can be just to justify the ungodly. And we have to be faithful to that promise. Okay, let's stand together and be dismissed. Appreciate your presence. Lord bless you. Keep you till we see you next Lord's Day. I'll let you know about the arrangements for uh, Bart's funeral. Donald, if you would, dismiss us, please.